Hey, Armchair listeners. If you like this podcast and you like the material that we're talking about and you would like to see us grow and continue with this podcast, we are going to be asking you a huge favor. When you have a moment, whatever platform you're on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else, take a moment and go rate us. Give us a good rating. And while you're at it, when you're talking to your other coaching buddies, your other friends, your other football fans, please send them our way. We need more listeners. We need more of you guys. Thank you. All right, so welcome back to the Armchair Coaching Podcast. And today we're going to do something different. uh, And we're going to have our first one-on-one interview. And today we're going to have our interview with Coach Dustin Mills. So to introduce Coach Mills, I'm going to read um, this little bio real quick. Coach Mills recently became the head coach of James M. Bennett High School in December of 2019. That's in Salisbury, Maryland, correct? Yes, sir. Prior to that, he was the offensive coordinator for the Clippers for four years and offensive line coach for six years. He helped guide an offense that created multiple first-team all-Bayside players, two city championships, two playoff appearances, and one playoff victory, the school's first in over two decades. Prior to that, Coach Mills was the JV head coach for the Clippers. On top of coaching football, Coach Mills has coached multiple other sports, including varsity and JV boys basketball, JV girls basketball, and JV softball. Coach Mills also teaches U.S. government at James M. Bennett High School and is the founder of Anchor Down Leadership, LLC, a leadership consulting group. I, You're very... Uh, accomplished coach that's <laughs> that's what I'm going to say uh you're very accomplished and, and thank you I'm honored to have you on as our first one-on-one interview it's it's my pleasure to be here I really appreciate the opportunity and, and I'm honored to be the first of what I know is going to be a, a lot more so maybe one day we can look back and say look how bad that first interview was when you're uh, turning out some really great ones later on with some better guests than me hey man I I, I keep telling the other guys who are usually on our program profiles that I have no delusions of grandeur, you know, uh, I did this, I started this podcast cause I was bored. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm being serious. That's what happened. Um, but, uh, so today I actually was on Spotify and I did find your, uh, anchor down leadership podcast. Um, and I did listen to a couple of episodes. And so our first question today for you, um, you are also a podcaster could you take a few moments to give the listeners a quick description of what your podcast is all about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, my podcast kind of spurns out of, you know, what you talked about in the introduction with Anchor Down Leadership. Um, and we could talk about what, what all that is later on, but essentially it's a podcast focused on uh, leadership education um, and leadership development, something which I think is sorely lacking in a lot of spaces in the current world. Um, And, you know, really, it's just a collection of things that I've learned over the years. I've been fortunate to have some great, great leaders and teachers to look up to, Um, you know, and I've learned a lot from them. And, you know, I've also had some some poor leaders and poor teachers, and I've learned a lot from them as well. And it's kind of a collection of my ideas and uh, the ideas of others that I've kind of put into one place that, you know, uh, hopefully can help somebody if they're listening, if they're, you know, in their own career, in their own path, you know, and it's right now it's kind of focused I would say mostly 
at uh, athletic coaches because it's just kind of the setup right now. But the, the goal is long term to develop it and make it more into just general leadership, whether you're in the workspace, uh, an educational leader or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, so we're on a, just just recorded my third episode this morning. So that'll be out later this week. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoy the experience. Yeah. And um, I've been doing a lot of research into leadership recently. Um, and the books that I've been really getting into are the culture defeat strategy. And your podcast kind of resonates with that, at least from what I've seen so far, especially your second episode, where you were talking about, uh, you have to find your core values, like figure out what your core values are. And it, it resonated with me because I'm an assistant coach. I'm not a head coach. And, and you said in your podcast that, yes, this even applies to assistant coaches as well. Sure. And that really resonated with me because I've really t taken into heart that I need to start being more, um, as an assistant coach, I need to be more active in the leadership role. Um, and not necessarily, I don't necessarily have to be that rah, rah, you know, head coach guy trying to get them motivated every day, but I can be the support guy in the background. I can definitely, you know, make sure the kids understand the different leadership roles and all that kind of stuff. Um, so moving on to the next thing, I'm always fascinated by everybody's, everyone has a story, right? Every coach has a story. Um, could you tell us your coaching story? Basically, could you tell us how did you end up where you are now? So I'm going to preface this with this. This is a little bit long winded um, just because it's kind of the, the nature of the journey, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, to back up and understand, I grew up in a military family. We moved all over the world. Um, I was born in Indiana and I graduated high school in Indiana. And between those two time frames. We lived in multiple states, multiple countries. Um, my first two years of playing high school football were actually for an American high school in Europe. So we traveled to other countries to play other American military bases. Um, and that was, that was an awesome experience. Um, moved back to Indiana, graduate. Uh, went to, and I played four years of high school football. I did not play college football. Um, I was an, an average high school football player at best. Um, and I kind of understood that. Plus, it was, uh, I graduated in 2002 before there was all these recruiting sites and before huddle and before, you know, mm -hmm. all these different things that you could do. And recruiting was largely just, you know, very hyper-regional. Um, so there was not really any opportunity for me to play the next level. And I was fine with that. I went to Purdue University in Northern Indiana for a year. In the meantime, my uh, father retired from the Navy and, uh, well, he, I'm sorry, he got stationed in Maryland and right outside DC in Montgomery County. Um, so I came out here for the, for the summer and ended up staying and I went to community college. Um, and there I met, uh, a, a, my best friend who was like, Hey, what are you doing after community college? And I was that kid. I had no idea. I was ready to be done with school. I wanted to get in the workforce. I'd had enough. Um, so he's like, well, come down and look at Salisbury university. So I drove down and looked at it with him. Um, I was like, this is where I, I want to go. I actually took a semester off and worked. Cause I was like, you know what? I don't know if I want to keep going with school. Let me save some money. And taking that semester off and working was the best decision I ever made. Cause I realized how much working part-time or, you know, working retail full-time. I, it was miserable for me. It was absolutely miserable. I was like, I got to get back to college, man. Um, so ended up coming down to Salisbury university in 2005. I've been here ever since 
Um, I did not graduate with a teaching degree, graduated just a history degree. Um, and I actually worked in politics for two years, uh, culminating in a run for office myself. That's another lifetime and another story. Uh, but it was, it, again, I don't know. I'm glad I did that, but I'm also glad I don't do that anymore. And during that time, I was like, I need to do something else in my life. This is not a long-term plan. And I had always loved football. I cherished all those memories I had of playing high school football. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, maybe I'd like to get into coaching. So uh, a classmate of mine played slow pitch softball with the head coach at Bennett. And she's like, hey, you know, I know him. Do you want to want me to give you his information? I was like, sure. So, I, you know, I sent him a text or I might have sent him an email. I don't know. I was a young college kid. I wasn't texting people at that time. Um, he's like, yeah, come on board. We'd love to have you. So I started as a JV defensive coordinator in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. And originally was just going to be a volunteer coach. And the other paid JV coach said, hey, I can't make the, the commitment. Um, so I became paid two days into my coaching career. So I was very, very fortunate in that regard. Granted, it was, again, a JV assistant position. But you know what? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Um, I've been fortunate to be with the program ever since. Um, just kind of working my way up. I've had some other opportunities, you know, trying to, um, you know, look at, relocating to different places, but it just, it, it kept working out that uh, I just kept staying at Bennett. And, you know, here I stand in 2020 as the, as the head football coach. And it's a position I'm extremely honored to have. Um, you know, I'm extremely humbled to have because uh, we've had in the last 39 years, we've had two head football coaches. <laughs> so I'm the third. Um, so I got a lot of some big shoes to fill. Um, you know, cause they've both been great men and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the challenge and I'm excited for the challenge to be quite honest. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. I mean, the fact that you stayed at one school, that's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. I, I'll admit I've been at three schools already. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming I'm pretty, you know, relatively new into my coaching career. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, we're pretty rural out here, which has kind of helped with that. I mean, mm-hmm. on the entire Eastern shore of Maryland, it, we're a peninsula out here. We call it Delmarva, which is a, a short term for Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia, because the Eastern shore of Virginia, Eastern shore of Maryland Del- and Delaware are all meet right here. And we only have uh, 11 uh, football playing high schools in a like seven county region. So it's, there's not really a whole lot of places to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like some places like, you know, kind of up where you are in Northern Virginia, where there's all sorts of schools to move around or in other big areas. We're, we're pretty rural here. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I definitely understand how fortunate I am. And it's really helped me because I'm so familiar with the program that I, I know what we need to do and I'm ready to make it happen quickly. Yeah. I, and that's probably going to give you an advantage that you've been there for so long that mm-hmm. you know, the area, you know, the types of kids you're going to have at that school, you know, Definitely the administration. I hope you yeah. know the administration. You know, that helps. Um, so, as I understand it, and you've said it before, you are a new head coach. And this is a very interesting time <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to become a new coach and get a new, a new job, in, period. Um, so, can you kind of describe for us what has it been like to become a new head coach in this time of this COVID pandemic? Um, in a word complicated, um, and we're still dealing with that complications. The end of that is not in my sight anytime soon. 
Uh, you know, I got the job in December of last year and everything was normal. And we started doing our regular off season thing. We were having good numbers in the weight room. We started doing some, uh, some classroom stuff. We were having good turnout. Um, and then, yeah, I think it was March 13th was our last day of school. Um, and we were, you know, essentially no contact incommunicado. Uh, we did set up a Google classroom where we could contact and still try and get them information and things like that. Um, but you know, that was, that was different. And even during the summer, there was a, a three week span where we actually were able to do, you know, social distancing, strength and conditioning, as I called it, where we were able to do something, but then they put a kibosh on that. And now we're back to that same point where everything we're doing is digital. Um, you know, we had a meeting yesterday, we're going to have a quote unquote digital season where we're going to meet with them three to five days a week. Uh, you know, do some academic check-ins, some, some leadership stuff, do some X's and O's stuff, but it's all going to be virtual install. So it has been difficult in that regard. And, you know, we're supposed to play in February. You know, I, I don't hold my breath on that. Um, you know, we're kind of following your guys' model mm -hmm. with uh, there in Virginia. Um, you know, I, hopefully that's the case. I'm hyper, super excited to look forward to it. But, you know, at the same time, like, like I just told you, I'm not, I, I wouldn't bet on it necessarily. Um, but at the same time, it has actually put a lot of things in perspective and it's kind of forced, you know, myself and the entire coaching staff to have the time and take the time to rethink what we do, how we do it, and more importantly, why we do it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're right now it's what Wednesday, we should be playing game one in two days. I was still talking to my offensive coordinator this morning about better ways to install stuff. Um, you know, and I think that's a huge part of this is, you know, there's a lot of anxiety out there as far as what's going on with COVID. Um, you know, actually the episode I recorded today on my podcast is, you know, I'm a big believer in process-based thinking versus outcome-based thinking. And if you ever want to burn an hour of your life, ask me to answer that question in detail. Um, but basically, you know, instead of worrying about what's going to happen, we're just going to worry about what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus on development, teaching and growing versus necessarily, well, what's going to happen in February. I, I have no idea what's going to happen in February, but I know that we can be the best coaches that we can be today and develop our players the best we can today, making them better in the long run. Um, and this whole pandemic has really kind of put that in focus for me because it really does reaffirm the idea that focusing on development and the processes that you use and building your people and building your organization is how you establish long-term success, you know, and, and, and I've been there as a coach where you're trying to chase that win. You're trying to go get that victory. You're trying to be, you know, the, 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 the team that scores the most points and all those things are great, but all those things don't, establish long-term success their momentary success you know it's hey cool we won this game awesome now let's get ready for next week whereas with the process based even if you lose the game it's like we're going to learn something and i think that's really been reaffirmed by what's going on so it's kind of been a you know a weird double-sided coin on one hand it has been complicated it's been a giant pain in the butt it's been very frustrating at times it's been very discouraging at times but like i said at the same time it's forced us to really reassess what we do and make sure that when we do hit the field in February, that we're going to be as efficient as possible. And we're going to be the best teachers of the game possible because we figured out all of our processes at the time, not to mention, you know, 
we talk about culture and leadership and how we want to teach our guys that stuff. But inevitably, right, we get into the season and we get caught up in, hey, we need 20 more, uh, 20 more minutes to mit on Team O. We need 15 more minutes to work on uh, inside run, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden you get to that time, you're supposed to be doing that leadership stuff, that character building stuff. It's like, all right, we got to hurry up and get through this because we got something else to do. I don't have that pressure right now. We don't have to worry about that. So we can take the time and we can establish that culture. We can establish those leadership programs, establish those character building programs, because there's no pressure to get done. You know, um, there, there's nobody saying, hey, you got to be on to the next thing because there is no next thing right now. Mm -hmm. So we're focusing on what we got to do. And it's that's been actually a benefit of this whole thing, in my opinion. All right. Well, thanks for that answer. And um, I know that the, the next question I actually wrote down on the sheet had what offense and defense you run. But I kind of want to skip to the, the question after that, since we're already kind of on culture and all that kind cool. of stuff. Uh, and we'll come back to offense, defense stuff, because I know the coaches always want to hear about that. <laughs> X's and O's, uh, man. That's what everybody wants. Heck, heck yeah, man. I, I, like we, we talked about, you were on the Navy podcast mm -hmm. um, the other night, and we kind of talked about it, and I, I caught myself drawing up plays again this morning. So uh, X's and O's, it always gets us. Mm -hmm. um, but keep, we're going to keep going with the culture thing. Um, can you describe – you might have already kind of talked about this a little bit, but can you describe your coaching philosophies? Woof! Got to take another drink here in a minute. Your coaching philosophies and leadership styles, um, and more importantly, where do you think these came from? Did you get these from another coach? Did you learn them along the way? Um, so, where did those styles come from for you? I have stolen everything I do from somebody who knew better than me. <laughs> I. I, I that is upfront and as honest as I can be, um, you know, yeah, I kind of already touched on my coaching style, my philosophy style, but I, like, especially now as a head coach, it was, I was, we were doing that strength and conditioning this summer and I was not on the field directly coaching anybody. And that was weird for me because I've been doing it, you know, um, on top of doing offensive coordinator stuff. I was kind of the de facto strength and conditioning coach for our program as well. I do a lot of, uh, you know, I, competed in strongman for a few years. So I've done a lot of that higher level strength and conditioning type stuff. So, you know, I was always working with that. And, you know, I looked at our athletic trainer and I said, this is kind of strange. I said, I'm not coaching right now, but I realized I shouldn't be coaching right now. You know, like I'm a firm believer in delegation. Um, you know, I'm a firm believer that you hire good people. And if you hire good people, just get out of your, get out of their way and let them do their job. I mean, you give them direction, you give them purpose, you give them vision, mm -hmm. but it's okay to allow them to use their talents to maximize what they do. And, and the same goes for our players, you know, um, this is going to probably hurt some feelings and ruffle some feathers, but uh, as football coaches, we got to chill out, man. We, uh, we want to control everything and it's just not one, it burns you out two in 2020 and the 21st century athletes, it's not practical. Um, three, I don't think it's really even the best strategy anymore. Uh, we've got so many talented athletes out there, you know, and they're only getting more and more talented. So my job as a coach should not be to tell them what to do. It's to give them the idea of here's what we want to execute and let them use their talents to make that play. You know, we'll teach up technique, we'll coach up effort, we'll coach up ability. But at the end of the day, the less we tell them, the faster they can play because the less they have to think about, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean our schemes are, are, are simple. Our schemes are complex. 
but they don't need to know everything. They don't need to know the complexities of it. Let the coaches handle that. You know, um, I'm a firm believer that when you teach somebody, and this is whether it's in the classroom, whether it, whatever it might be, it's not about my capacity as a teacher. It's about your capacity as a student to learn. And I think sometimes we forget that as coaches because we want them to know all this stuff, you know, and I, I stand guilty as charged. I've done it countless times. Hey, we need to be able to run this play, run this play, run. And the next thing you know, you've got 62 plays that they need to know. And let's be honest. How many of those plays do you call on a Friday night? Not, not that many. You're probably looking at, you know, 15 plays that you call regularly. So why do we spend all that time dedicated on that stuff? You know, again, kind of back to what I answered the last question, you know, process versus outcome. You know, what makes our players the best player they can be? And then let's do that and get the hell out of the way. You know, like let them use their talents. We will provide them with the information they need, but we can't joystick them. Um, that's a concept I, I picked up a few years ago. We're talking primarily about American soccer and American youth soccer. But we have this real big problem where we joystick, right? We tell the player, hey, run there, go there, do that, do this, right? Like we're playing a video game with a joystick. But if you watch like European youth soccer, the coaches hardly say anything. European rugby, the head coach sits up in the booth. Can you imagine a head coach of a high school football team sitting up in the booth? But they just let their players play. They, te they teach them and they prepare them during the week. And when it gets to game time, hey, hands off. You guys know what to do. You're prepared. And that's kind of my philosophy as a coach, um, you know, let people maximize their talents. I'll provide the vision. I'll provide, you know, the information and, you know, I'll provide the camaraderie and the culture, but I'm going to let you guys use your talents to the best of your ability. Um, you know, and where does that come from? Fortunately, a lot of great people. Um, and like I said early on, a lot of people who probably were poor leaders, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes, uh, the Duke of Wellington, I'm a huge nerd, by the way, huge history nerd. The Duke of Wellington, not going to get into his bio, but he, he beats the crap out of Napoleon at Waterloo, right? Everybody knows that one. Later becomes prime minister of Great Britain. His very first military campaign, he gets his butt kicked, just gets absolutely whipped. And he comes back and he says, well, at least I learned what not to do. And that is always worth something. And I'm like, absolutely, you know, learn from other people. But you know, growing up around military leaders, um, you know, growing up, having great coaches to learn from. There's a lot of great people out there on the internet now that have a lot of great things to say about leadership. Um, just listening to what they're saying. Uh, USA football actually has some tremendous people there who kind of think outside the box and are really helping build philosophies like mine. So, um, you know, I could go on and on, but that's just a very long-winded way to answer that question. Hey, I, I get it. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research, but I've, I was a freshman head coach my second year ever coaching, which, you know, I thought I knew everything, but that season definitely taught me that I didn't know everything. Mm -hmm. So I, after that season, um, I had been force fed down the throat just from that season. I tried to teach my kids too much. Like I tried to like, change offenses in the middle of the season. We tried to run too many plays, um, you know, and eventually what happened was we're like, well, crap, these kids can't remember the plays. So let's like pare it down to like what they can remember. And we ended up with like three run plays mm -hmm. and one or two passing plays. 
and we practiced it over and over and over again. And the last couple of games, yeah, we still lost, but we were definitely way more competitive. You're better. Than we had been at the, at the beginning. Um, and so that really made me a huge believer in the KISS philosophy, the keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is such a thing as doing too much, especially on offense and defense. Um, my first year at the current school that I'm at, the head coach is the uh, defensive coordinator. This is my first year ever coaching real defense. I was, a, I was a linebackers coach. I think at the end of the season, we had eight or nine different coverages different coverage packages, not, not including all the blitz packages that our kids had to know, right. And a 33 stack defense. And <laughs> like we had blitz packages out the wazoo and then, you know, each kid had to understand, well, what do I have to do on this blitz package with this coverage? And it just, and, and, but the thing is we only really ran two or three coverages each game. You know, we might have like one or two that we put in for like one game here or there, but you know, and we, but we would practice all of them the whole week. And I kept saying, and our coach was like, well, why aren't we as good at uh, this coverage, cover three, as we should be? Because that was our main coverage. And I was like, well, because we spend maybe 10% of practice on that. And, and we run it 90% of the game, you know, and uh, trying not to be mean to my, our head coach. He's a great head coach, <laughs> but sometimes – I, I, he and I argue because he's not necessarily a kiss philosophy person. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely uh, prescribes to the belief that, well, we need to be complex because if we're more complex and we're able to do it, we're going to confuse the other team. And it's like, eh, I don't know about that, but um, I'm a firm believer. You can be, you can give the perception of complex, but still be simplistic in your assignments. And that's kind of what, what we're striving to do. You know, it's kind of funny you say that about being a freshman head coach. I have the exact same story. My second year coaching, right? First year as JVD coordinator. My second year, I become JV head coach. And we don't have freshman ball. We only have varsity and JV. And same, th- we, we won our first game. We beat our crosstown rival. I had a running back go for, you know, five carries, 100 yards, two touchdowns. I'm like, man, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. The next day he was up on varsity and we proceeded to win one game the rest of the whole JV season. Cause I was doing the same thing you were doing. Right. Uh, I am not kidding you. When that season we had shotgun spread, we had pro I, we had power. I, um, I had double tight, double wing with the silly superpower play. Yeah. I'll, I'll say it's silly. I know someone's going to get irritated by it that, works, though. but it, <laughs> yeah. it does. No, it, it does. It's, yeah. Given the right circumstances, it can be tremendous, but and yeah, same thing. And we were awful. Our losses weren't even close. I mean, we were routinely getting blown out. And I'm like, man, like, what are we doing? And kind of carried that into the second year. And then something clicked eventually. And I was like, hold on. When I don't even talk about the other team and I say, hey, we're just going to practice this all week. We're actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. When I get caught up in trying to match up with the other team, we struggle. I'm like, so let's just focus on us. And after that, we had a lot of success on the JV level moving forward. And it was just that simple switch of you know instead of worrying about winning the game each week let's worry about just getting better and tremendous difference in improvement yeah and i totally agree um well now now i think we can talk about offense and defense so um you know as much as you want to because i know you're the head coach and you don't want to give anything away to anybody who might be listening to this listen i'll uh, send them their play i'll send them our playbook we just gotta <laughs> execute them anyway all right. So what offense and defenses do you schemes do you use and why? So this is a huge thing.
thing for us. So, um, you know, having been the offensive coordinator, I've been a gap scheme guy my entire life. Um, you know, in high school, I played in a power eye, a pro eye, a single wing, and a wing T team. So, like, I was born and raised a gap scheme boy. I've, as an offensive play caller, everything we've done has been gap scheme. You know, it's been spread and pro eye um, and a couple other things, but it's always been gap scheme based. Not anymore. Uh, you know, uh, the first thing I did when I got hired as a head coach is I fired myself as offensive coordinator, um, simply because I didn't have the, in my opinion, I think it's difficult to do both. I think it just takes away from one or the other, and you're never hundred percent committed to either job. Um, two, I was an average play caller at best. Um, I was really good when I had really good players. <laughs> that was about it. Um, you know, so we're, we're new offensive coordinator, keeping our D coordinator, but we're totally changing our offensive scheme. Um, you know, we're going to more of a zone based, um, you know, we, for a variety of reasons, I think it helps our personnel the best. We also don't have a feeder program. Um, so when we get kids as freshmen, it's, you know, we don't know what level of experience they have. So we can't go down to our pop Warner teams and say, Hey, we want you to run this so that when they get to us, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, so we said, what's the, the simplest thing to teach? Um, you know, and I really do believe it's, it's, it's zone blocking. Now the execution of it is a different story, but I think if you can teach them to count to three and take the proper zone steps, you're three quarters of the way to, to, you know, being successful, you know, now you, you lose, you know, there's a lot more to it than that, but at least as far as the basics, we didn't have to spend hours teaching offensively and then uh defensively we are we've been a 3-3 stack team the past three years before that we were a 4-4 um uh split 4-4 team all that stuff um we're going to a 4-2-5 look which i know is kind of the 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 the, the, the all the rage right now but you know that's not obviously why we're going to it again i think it helps our personnel um, it gives us a lot more flexibility in our scheme so that we can do the things that we talked about. We can be complex in uh, perception, but simple in assignment and allow our guys to just kind of make plays. Um, it also allows us to be flexible in, in our league. Uh, if my schedule had worked out as normal, my first week I would have seen uh, air raid. My second week I would have seen wing T true wing T. Uh, my third week I would have seen spread run. Uh, fourth week would have been pro I fifth week would have been wing T again and sixth week would have been double tight wishbone. So we need to be flexible and we need to be able to adapt our defense. And we really feel like the four, two, five, um, with a cover two behind it, doing some read to some palm stuff, um, will really help us be flexible so that we can adapt to what we're seeing every week. Um, as opposed to kind of being married to certain alignments or certain schemes. Um, and we're fortunate. Uh, we've, been able to give us some some great coaches that the um, the coaching staff at Bridgewater has been tremendous out there in Virginia uh, they'll answer any question we ask and it's been great um, you know so learning a lot from them about those types of schemes and the way they do things and same thing with Shenandoah you know they've been great as well um, so we've really been fortunate to get a ton of great information about it and you know 
and we've been ready to go, but now we've got that extra time of, uh, you know, our COVID season. So we really can hammer down what we're going to do. And when that first day of practice hits, we won't have to think about, well, what do we want to install? We're just going to hit the ground running. And I, I think it's going to be successful for us. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, you know, we, my background is, I know a lot of my viewers and listeners, they'll probably know me as a wing T guy. Um, and, you know, it's a little more complicated than that because, you know, I, I, I ran a blog and it's called Obsessed with Offense. And I love all forms of offense. Sure. And, you know, it, it's my belief that scheme is irrelevant, you know, as when it com- compared to culture and philosophy and stuff like that. Because if you don't have a good culture and, and all that stuff as your base, your scheme's probably not going to be very good. doesn't matter what you run. And, you know, you're going to get you're going to get somewhere out there in the United States this year. There's going to be somebody running the wing tee who's going to win a championship. There's going to be someone running the air raid who will win a championship. And there's going to be a lot of teams running both of those offenses that really stink. So it, it's it's not always about like what your scheme is. I will say <laughs> defensively, uh, I know the 33 stack. And I know the four two five because we run both fronts and we run it in a system that where like it's basically the same thing. It's just we've traded a linebacker for a defensive lineman sure. um, for us, and so it's really flexible for us. And for me, thirty three stack is if you get the right blitz packages and the right movements up front, you can basically make it whatever front you want. You know, if you got the right blitz, you can make it a four two five look. Um, and so that's pretty, a pretty good defense as well. But I, I thought you explained yours very well and, and your why. And if to me, the only time I'm really critical of anyone about like why they choose a certain offense or a certain defense is, oh, I run the spread because it's cool. <laughs> or, you know, because I want to throw the ball. I was like, is that the only reason you did it? You know, if that's the only reason you don't know your real why, then it's not a good idea. Um, so – I think that goes for anything in coaching. I think you make a great point there. You know, I'm a firm believer that anytime you do anything as a coach, whatever it is, whether it's the, the way you let your players dress, you know, the, the, the way you run your practices, you know, you got to have a solid reason why. And does it lead to overthinking sometimes? Absolutely. But I'm a firm believer. Let me overthink as opposed to underthink uh, so that my guys don't have to think as much. Let me do the hard work there. And yeah, I think knowing the why on why, on why you do anything is it's the, it's the most important part of coaching. All right. So here at the armchair coaching podcast, we like to talk college football a lot. And uh, so we're going to get a little bit broader picture than high school here with this question. Um, And, you know, I'm not a I'm not a big political person. I really don't have any affiliations politically or anything like that. Um, and hopefully, I, I'm I'm sure you're pretty cool. You you don't seem like too political of a person. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, but um, what are your thoughts <laughs> on how the different college football conferences are handling the pandemic, especially like the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and and that kind of stuff? So. I'm a huge Big Ten fan, you know, even though I lived all over, I spent a lot of time in that, that Midwest area, I lived in Wisconsin for seven years, Indiana, I was born and graduated, you know, went to Purdue for a year. So, 
you know, I, I, I'm intimately familiar with, with Big Ten football, and I love Big Ten football. Um, you know, the thing I would say about it is that, you know, each conference is certainly allowed to make their own decision and, and you know, merit it however they want, you know, and if they really think that that was what's in the best interest of their student athletes and their colleges and their, and their universities, then I'm okay with them saying, hey, we're not going to do this. The problem I have, it's not so much with the Pac-12, but maybe it's just because the Big Ten's been amplified, was just kind of the way everything went down and kind of the way everything was handled. It was just very poor communication, and it was a very startling lack of leadership. Um, you know, it's like they they didn't want to tell anybody what was going on, and then they they're still they're still waffling. There's talk now. You know, they might come back in October. And it's just like, you know, if you're going to make a decision, I'm a firm believer, make a decision. Good or bad decision is better than no decision. And, you know, once you make a decision, write it out, adapt, and then move on from there. Um, You know, I think certainly regional play would have probably been something they could have pulled off, you know, maybe not interregional, maybe not playing any other conference. And yeah, it would have been a limited season. Um, And I think they would have been all right. Again, I'm not you know, privy to the information they have or the, the, the research they have and all that stuff. I mean, there's some pretty good research schools in the Big Ten. I would hope that they at least did their due diligence. Um, but again, I have a bigger issue with how they handled it and how they just did not communicate very well with the coaches, with the players, um, and all the things like that. And I think it really took away from the decision they could have made. Um, you know, again, they're, they're entitled to make the decision they want to make. Um, but I also think they should make decisions based upon the input of the people that are involved. Um, and I don't know if that was necessarily the case either. I think there was some, some people and, you know, maybe some of us in high school, uh, level can relate to this. Some people made decisions without getting any stakeholders involved. And I think that's always a bad time. You, you know, you never want to unilaterally make decisions. Um, but you know, and then you see some of the other ones, you know, they're just going to do their regional stuff, the AAC with, uh, you know, that stuff, the, the ACC, the, the big, uh, big 12, the SEC, you know, um, we'll see how they do with the safety measures and things like that. And we'll see what the numbers do across the country. Um, but it looks like right now that they're going to be more successful than not successful. So it'll definitely uh, be interesting to see. But at the end of the day, you know, they can handle as they see fit. I just really wish uh, some some better communication, some better input had happened in specifically the Big Ten. Yeah, and me too. And the whole, oh, yeah, we're not going to have a, a season. We're going to push it to the spring. And then, oh, wait, we might come back. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I hate that. And um, I just, you know, I worry about the, the teams that are playing – because I mean, you like recently. I just read this morning. Auburn had like eleven players that weren't at practice when they restarted practice, and a couple of weeks ago it was Vanderbilt and it was Rutgers and all these teams who weren't able to pl- practice. And I think uh, right now North North Carolina State is having a huge issue whether or not they're even going to come back mm-hmm. and play any sports at all. So, and, and that and it bothers me. It's like. Without the Big Ten, the Pac-12, I mean, you know, maybe probably the Pac-12 would not have a college football playoff contender this year. I didn't really see anybody uh, at all that would really stand out. But the Big Ten, they have Ohio State. Penn State could have made a run. 
I mean, Wisconsin could have made a run. Nebraska, not Nebraska, but um, you know, Michigan, maybe Michigan. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You had a couple teams who could have made a run, sure, but they're no longer eligible for you know the current plan, yeah. right? Even if they do come back in October, I don't even think the the playoff committee is not going to wait for them. Yeah, I mean, so, their season if their season was ten weeks long, their season would still be going on when they were coming out with those with the playoff standings. So you know, it's a right. uh, yeah, it, and you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, obviously we are concerned for the teams that are practicing, that are playing. You know, we don't want anything bad to happen to them. Um, you know, and you would hope that coaches are doing what's in the best interest of their players. Um, I don't know if some places that's happening. I know that the debacle at Florida State, I, I can't wrap my head around what's going on down there. Um, I don't know if it's that's really what's happening or if you know there's just some perception issues i'm not sure but either way you know they're having some real covid-based issues without anybody even getting the disease and i you know i think that's a key part of this as well is if you're going to have the season you better make sure your systems are in place to take care of the players because you know like the guys who are opting out um we saw today the jamie newman the the wake forest quarterback transfer he's now going to opt out to get ready for the draft i don't blame those guys one bit you know, I, I get it. You, you've got, you know, potentially millions of dollars on the line, um, you know, in a situation like this, why would you risk it? Why would you push it? Especially if you're not confident in the safety measures in place. So, you know, I totally understand what's going on. I would hope that if the, the colleges are playing, that they are truly doing the things they need to do and, you know, not trying to pull one over on people just so they can win games essentially. Right. And Kind of brings up to mind uh, the other night when we were talking Navy, uh, a couple of the guys, this is a spoiler alert if nobody listened to the Navy podcast yet. Um, we kind of talked about how if Navy, if a team like Navy in the AAC with their schedule and the type of kids they have, if they're able to run through their schedule unbeaten and pretty convincingly run through their schedule, are, would they be in consideration for a college football playoff? And so now that we've got the Big Ten out of the way, we got the Pac-12 out of the way, does that potentially open up things for some of those group of five conferences? I know we – I don't think we have – we don't have Mountain West. We don't have the MAC. Those are canceled. No, the MAC's canceled as well, yeah. MAC's canceled. So, like, you know, like a, like a Sunbelt team, maybe App State comes out and just dominates. Maybe – um, maybe Memphis or SMU, they had good seasons last year. Maybe they continue their successful runs. Do you think this might open up something for one of those smaller schools that has not yet been considered? Or is it going to be one of those situations where we have three one-loss SEC teams in the playoff for the first time and Clemson? <laughs> the, the, the true believer in me wants to say that it gives those group of five schools an opportunity, but the realist in me says probably not. Um, for that to happen, like you, you said early on in that statement, the group of five team has to win and win big every game. Has to be, uh, you know, UCF a few years ago or something like that. Like, you know, so given that situation, right, if we were to see a team like that UCF team from a few years ago, I think they would have a shot this year. Mm-hmm. But I also think it would be an uphill battle because you've got to beat the teams in your conference and you've got to beat them soundly. Um, you know, you can't have, in my opinion, any 
one, two point games, one score games. Like they've got to all be double digit wins. And, you know, so it'd be very difficult unless you are just that much more talented than the rest of the conference. Um, so does it give them a glimmer of hope? Is the door cracked open? Absolutely. The reality of it happening though, I just don't see it's a, it's a slim to none type of deal. Yeah. It reminds me of, like you said, UCF, they never really were given a shot. They were never even got close to sniffing the top four. And then how many years Boise State? I mean, think about a team like Boise State going undefeated a couple years in a row and never even getting a sniff, you know. And that was what this this, uh, playoff thing was supposed to fix, right? Right. And, and yet those teams are still not getting the opportunities that they are. And, and I've, I made the argument with my head coach one time. Um, he was, we were arguing about, about this and he's saying, well, you're, are you telling me that if army went undefeated with their schedule, which is not the toughest of schedules, no offense to army, but if they went undefeated and you had a two loss Alabama team, whose only losses were to Auburn and LSU would you pick Army or, or Alabama? I'd say both. Make it like a 18 playoff and give those undefeated teams a shot. If you go undefeated, I don't care who you are or what your schedule is, that's tough. Yeah. If you go undefeated, you should at least deserve a shot. Mm-hmm. Even if it's Army versus Alabama in the first round, you know, they should at least be given a shot. Well, the fact that these teams aren't even given a shot mm-hmm. is ridiculous. We saw Army, Oklahoma yeah. last year. You know, that yeah. was a nail biter and that was a, an elite level team. So you never know what, what a team's going to roll out. Yeah. So uh, speaking of college teams, um, which college team or teams do you root for? Uh, it's definitely teams with an S. Um, truth be told, I'll watch anybody play anybody. Um, you know, I, I love the beauty of the game of football. I find a weird art form to it and the, the matchups and the chess pieces and, you know, what coaches and the adjustments they make. And I, I just love everything about it. Um, but if I were to pick some programs that I follow a little bit more closely, uh, Purdue, um, a little Homer there, uh, big Navy football fan. Navy's probably my number one being, you know, a Navy brat myself and living an hour and 15 minutes from the stadium. It's the closest college football I have. Um, and just, I love everything about their culture and their camaraderie and the way they do things. Um, you know, I, I enjoy watching Clemson. I enjoy what they're about. I wouldn't call myself necessarily a Clemson fan, but I do appreciate their program and what Dabo Sweeney has done down there. Um, uh, in Utah, University of Utah. Uh, I think Kyle, uh, Whittingham is arguably the most underrated coach in America. I think he continuously just does a great job out there and he just, because he plays in the PAC 12 and the Western mountain time zone and nobody ever gets to watch him. I think people sorely miss out on a tremendous program. Um, but yeah, I would say those are probably some of the teams I follow a little bit closer. Um, and I've recently become uh, a, uh, a fan of Hawaii football. The, the, <laughs> my wife and I went and got married in Hawaii and the long-term goal is to retire to Hawaii and, go coach football there, but I love everything about the Hawaiian culture and kind of the way they approach things. And I, you know, I, so I've kind of become a, a, a half bit fan of uh, Hawaii football as well. Hey, they, they need more fans. I've, I've kind of always had a soft spot for Hawaii um, mm-hmm. because it's Hawaii. I mean, exactly. I mean, and, and 
my 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 stepfather one time told me he's like if you were if you had the choice of the litter of any division one college football program in the world you would be an idiot not to go to hawaii <laughs> i mean you just go to school in hawaii yeah. but um if i remember correctly i think a couple years ago they were having like no luck at all on the football field and they were even considering shutting down the program because of how bad they were mm-hmm. well, so it's, it's I think, a, yeah it's, these it's, last few years have probably helped them out What's well, a huge expense there because every away game you've got to travel th- over a thousand miles, you know, even if you're playing at San Diego State, which is, I think, their closest opponent, like you're still got to get on a plane. So it's a huge expense. But um, yeah, I mean, they had those great years in the 2000s with June Jones and, you know, Timmy Chang are throwing the ball all over the field and everybody loved it. And then, yeah, they got really bad. Um, and then, you know, fortunately under uh, Nick Rolovich, they've kind of come back a little bit now that he's gone it'd be interesting to see um you know how they do how they do moving forward but uh, you know they definitely have a built-in fan base that will show up the minute they become successful yeah definitely um and last question for us tonight Mm -hmm. uh which coaches would you call an inspiration or someone that you look up to um so i'm going to give you some college coaches i'm going to give you a high school coach uh you know, kind of the coaches, of the programs I've already talked about. I, I love Ken Niamatololo at Navy. Um, you know, I really like what he does. And in the similar vein, Kyle Whittingham uh, out in Utah, I think just underrated coaches who do more with less. Although Utah does have some, some studs. I don't think that they're guys that necessarily get the same attention as everyone else. And I think they do a lot with less. Um, you know, I know <laughs> Dabo Sweeney has kind of recently become a controversial figure, which kind of blows my mind but it's because people don't understand in my opinion how Dabo thinks at the end of the day all Dabo cares about are his guys in that program in you know you can say what you want about him but I think every one of his guys in that program knows that he cares about them in that program and that's all that matters right as coaches you know we worry about a lot of things outside of our program but you know, successful coaches really just focus in and get it done. And he's, he's really done that. Um, you know, say what you want about his comments about a, a variety of things. There's no doubt in my mind that his guys believe in him. They trust him and they love him. And, you know, that's what we should all aspire to be as football coaches is, is to build that level of relationship with our guys. Um, you know, so those are just some, some guys on the college level that I really like. And, there, and there's a ton more, don't get me wrong. Um, but those are the guys that I kind of just sit up and pay attention to. Um, and then I'll give you a high school coach. Uh, he runs a program out here on the Eastern shore of Maryland that maybe, you know, 2000 people in this world have ever heard about. It's uh, North Carolina high school uh, in Denton, Maryland. I think they're actually in Ridgely, Maryland, which is even more obscure, but uh, they haven't lost a conference game in, I think they're going on four or five years now. Um, they're routinely one of the top teams in the state in the two A, and it is a school in the middle of nowhere. Um, our area out here doesn't produce a ton of D1 guys and they've produced three D1 guys in the last three years. Um, One's about to be the starting running back at Boston college. One is about to be the starting D tackle at Notre Dame. And one's going down to wake forest to play DN. He just graduated last year. So, you know, he, he coach McCormick does a tremendous job of, you know, coaching his team up. And, you know, we always say, I hate playing North Carolina, because I know they're going to whip our ass, but they're going to, we're going to really appreciate it when they're done. You know, it's very rarely that a team beats the crap out of you. You know what? Hey, thanks for that. We really appreciated that opportunity to get dominated, but 
they're so nice and they're so genuine and they're so polite and they're such class acts um, that it's hard not to look at them and say, that's, that's what I want to be, you know, universally respected. I don't know hardly anybody who would say a bad word about him. Um, and it's just, he's a, he's a great guy. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the guy I look to immediately um, on the high school level. And then, yeah, those college coaches that, that I mentioned as well. All right. Well, I really appreciate that. And um, so before we go, before we uh, sign off tonight, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a chance to, um, you know, talk about any final thoughts that you have, you know, especially since we're a lot of coaches are going through a lot of stuff right now. I mean, you know, here in Virginia, you guys in Maryland don't even have a season right now. Uh, we're just watching from the sidelines, really. Um, do you have any final thoughts, any kind of like positive uh, thoughts to go out to those coaches? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds trite and cliche, but I firmly do believe that adversity reveals greatness. You know, we've got an opportunity here to really educate our guys, not just on the X's and O's of football. That's what we do all the time, right? We've really got the time to invest in them emotionally, to invest in them and build the relationships that we always talk about, but sometimes fall by the wayside, as I mentioned earlier. You know, really take this time. We know better things are going to happen, right? You know, I, and I'm not going to beat the dead horse anymore, but process-based thinkers, right? We realize that adversity and uh, success both need to be taken with a grain of salt. It'll never be as bad as you think it is, and it's going to get better, and it's never going to be as good as you think it is. There's going to be times it gets worse. So when you understand that, you can say, hey, you know, I don't know what the next four, six, eight months is going to hold, but I know eventually we'll be back on that field. I know eventually we'll be strapping the pads on, we'll be getting out there and we'll be under those Friday night lights eventually. There's no doubt in my mind about that, but I can't worry about that right now. Spend the time with your guys, get to know them more personally than you already do. You know, work with them on things like character development. You know, I firmly believe that the number one job of high school athletics is not to win championships. It's to build championship individuals. Um, You know, all you got to do is get on Facebook right now and you can see there's a lot of, uh, less than stellar people out there with some pretty poor character traits. And I kind of use that as my rallying cry. Like, Hey, I don't want my guys to be that. I want my guys to be the guys that say, you know what? I'm not even going to engage with you because I'm busy focused on the positives. I'm busy working on me and taking care of my family and being the best father, the best brother, the best son, the best, um, you know, husband, whatever it is that they can be. And and I have that time now. So you better believe we're going to pour into them. Um, you know, and also use that, that time to analyze what you do on the field, analyze how you practice, you know, analyze your drills. I think that's a big one. I was talking to a coach from USA football about this the other day. Football coaches are so tribal, right? And we pass down our knowledge, almost like we're speaking to the old chieftain, right? Oh, I did this when I was your age. You need to do this now. Why, man? Like, and it's not disrespectful, but like, why? Is it really going to make my guys better? If not, throw it out the window, find something better it's okay if the old coach did that 15 years ago, you need to do things that work best for you. So, so reassess what you do, look at your practices and make sure that at the end of the day, you're maximizing your players talents because that's our number one job as X's and O's coaches is to maximize what our guys can do on the field. Not what we can do. I know I'm smart. I know I know the scheme because I helped write it. So I don't need to prove my intelligence, but I need to help these guys prove their ability, especially if they want to get looks for colleges. And, you know, if my systems aren't in place to help them maximize their talents, I'm actually hurting their prospects of being recruited. And that's unconscionable to me, you know, so 
take this time. You know, we know things are going to get better. I know we're going to be playing football again. I know I'm going to be on the sideline yucking it up um, in my Hawaiian shirts. Like, I, I know that's going to happen. So let's do what we can in the interim to make sure that when that does happen, we're thinking the best of it is possible. And when it does happen, cherish it for what it's worth and value it for what it's worth because you don't know when it's going to be taken away from you again. Yeah. And those are sage words of advice. And I completely agree with everything you just said. So what we're going to do, we're going to wrap it up here, coaches and uh, listeners. And thank you very much, Coach Mills, for coming on and being our very first one-on-one interview here on the Armchair Coaching Podcast. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been a great conversation. I know I'm a, I'm a hair long-winded sometimes, so I, I appreciate you being patient with me um, on some of my answers. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Um, I think this is a great thing you're doing, both with the program previews, because I think there's a lot to be learned from there, and it's fun. And, you know, as you get more one-on-ones, I think it's going to be great for anybody who's listening. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, listeners, this has been the Armchair Coaching Podcast. Please uh, look forward to new episodes coming out typically every Tuesday and Friday. Every once in a while, we might uh, introduce an extra episode here and there each week. But look out for Tuesdays and Friday mornings, especially Friday mornings for those of you who have long bus rides and you need something to listen to, this would be a great choice for you. So thank you, thank you listeners, and stay tuned for new episodes. Hey, Armchair listeners. If you like this podcast and you like the material that we're talking about and you would like to see us grow and continue with this podcast, we are going to be asking you a huge favor. When you have a moment... Whatever platform you're on, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or something else, take a moment and go rate us. Give us a good rating. And while you're at it, when you're talking to your other coaching buddies, your other friends, your other football fans, please send them our way. We need more listeners. We need more of you guys. Thank you.